number four. We're in a sermon series that we are calling Building Blocks. And for the last several weeks, if you've been with us, here is the premise of our series, is that you and I are building our lives on something. I think all of us would say, if I'm going to have a life that is meaningful, if I'm going to have a life that is uh, satisfying, if I'm going to have a life that I can look at and say, hey, I am, I am thankful, I am happy with my life, then there are some things that are necessary. And most people would say that, that the things on this list over here, this little, uh, this little castle that we have over here, would be the things that are necessary to have a meaningful, satisfying life. Things like comfort. We all want to be comfortable. Uh, we wanted the heat on in all of this cold weather that I can't handle. Uh, we all want, we would all say, I think that we desire social acceptance. We want our peers to, to love and respect us. We want happiness. Everyone just wants to be happy. We want financial security and job security and uh, maybe throw in some romantic, good romantic relationships. Those are the things that a lot of people would say, hey, these are the things that I need to have a life that is meaningful and that I can be proud of. And of course, none of these things are bad things. These things are good things. The problem is, is that these things are not sure things. For all of these things, everything on our list on this side can be here today and can be gone tomorrow. So if I'm going to build my life on it, that's something that's not exactly sturdy, is it? I can get bad news from the doctor and my comfort go away. I can get a bad news from, from the boss and uh, that job security, that financial, financial security go away. Someone can, uh, someone can cheat on me and that romantic relationship could die. There's, there's all of these things. They're, they're wonderful things to have. They're just not a strong foundation to build our lives on. And what we're looking for is to build our lives on a sure foundation. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. In week one of our series, we talked about gospel conviction uh, from John the Baptist, this conviction down deep in our soul that, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that demands a response from my life, and, and that Jesus' way is the best way. We talked about gospel conviction. Then last week, we talked about gospel clarity. We need to understand what the gospel is, and that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay for my sin and to bring me into a relationship with God. That gives me power for everyday living, and that's the fuel that we need to run on. This week, we're going to continue in our series as we walk through Matthew. And the unveil, I have my partner, Venna. Would you unveil the next, the next message for us, please? Our next message, the focus for today, is gospel character. Gospel character. Would you give Joel a hand? Thank you to my little helper. Matthew chapter 4, and if you look with me in verse number 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungry. And when the tempter came to him, and he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, 
and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Let's take a moment to pray and learn about what it means to have gospel character. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to continue in worship through the study of your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that as we look at the person of Jesus, that we would see him for who he is, wonderful and glorious, a merciful Savior who stands in the place of sinners to give us freedom. Lord, I pray that we would love you more as a result of what we find in your word today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me as I preach and teach your word. And Lord, I pray that you be with every person who's here today. Give them exactly what they need um, in their life. I can't give them that, but your word and your spirit can. So I ask that you would do that this morning. We'll give you the glory for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I failed again. On Friday, I went out to my friend Stephen's house, and uh, we picked up some furniture from him. Colt and I, Colt went to help me uh, pick, up some, <coughs> pick up some furniture. And after we had finished our errands, uh, I went to a wonderful and beautiful place that if you've never been there, you just have to go sometime, called Tiny's Milk and Cookies. Does anybody know, or is, any, or is anybody in here familiar with Tiny's Milk and Cookies? Tiny's Milk and Cookies is probably the best, according to certain rankings, is the best cookie shop, and they also have ice cream, uh, in the entire Houston area. It is absolutely amazing. I found it last year for Adriana's birthday. She said, this year, I don't want cake, I want cookies. So I found, I looked for, I researched, where are the best cookies in Houston? And lo and behold, I found Tiny's Milk and Cookies. So we were close by there, and I said, uh, Colt, let's stop by and grab some cookies. So we went and grabbed some cookies to take and surprise Adriana with. I was ready to be in the good books. And you all know, if you've been around here for very long, that I am watching my weight. I'm, I'm supposed to be on the keto diet. Uh, notice that word, supposed to be. Uh, but I'm watching my weight. I'm doing pretty good. I take the cookies home and uh, share them with everyone. And then the rest of the cookies sat on the island in my house. I have to be honest and confess, I did have a cookie before, before I brought them home too. Uh, but there they are sitting on the island and I'm thinking, I'm going to be good. And the longer that they sit there in the beautiful white and blue box, each cookie individually wrapped, there they sat and there I stared and there I gave in. And I thought, you know what, since I've had one, might as well have two. And, you know, I was thinking about that and, and, and our propensity, my propensity to, to give in to temptation, that's often the way that it works. 
uh, you know, we, we want to resist. We want to stand firm. We want to resist. I want to resist the temptation of bad food. And then when my willpower gets weak, I give in just a little bit. And then I get down on myself, so then I binge. Only to later say, you know what, I'm going to get back on the horse and try again. Let me tell you how bad it is, people. Let me tell you how bad it is. So I did it on Friday. I knew that I was going to tell you and confess my sin and tell you that story today. And I was like, but I have to be good. I have to be good. I have to eat right. And then last night, I'm watching playoff football with Adriana, and she is sitting in our recliner with chips and guac. We, the cookies were already finished. They were gone. She's sitting with chips and guac, and she looks at me, and she goes, do you want one? Yes. One turned into two. And then the tempter. She fixed, she made a bowl of cereal. And I looked and I said, if you're going to have a bowl of cereal, then I think I'm going to have one too. And I knew I wasn't going to feel good after eating cookies and chips and guac and a bowl of cereal. But I still did it. Knowing, and I, I started into the bowl of cereal and I'm like, I'm going to have to tell this story tomorrow. I knew that I was going to fail. I, I knew that I was going to have to confess it, and I still failed and faltered. You know, it's funny, and I think all of us could identify, if you've ever tried to diet, you know what that's like. You know, I'm going to start on Monday, and then we fail, and then we say, well, you know what, I'll start on next Monday. My grandma, whenever I see her, my grandma lives in East Tennessee, and we have this thing that every time we see each other and visit with each other, when we go our separate ways, we always say, next time you see me, I'm going to be skinny. And we go our separate ways knowing it's probably just not going to happen. It's funny whenever it comes down to food, but I think all of us could also identify that it's not so funny. It's a lot more painful whenever it comes to sin. We look a lot like uh, that character in A Bug's Life. Uh, it's the fly that's flying to the electric light, and they know it knows that it's going to die, and all the other flies are saying, don't go to it. And he's saying, I just can't help it. It's so beautiful. It's, <laughs> it's funny with food. It's a lot more painful with sin. Yet, apart from Christ, all of us in our, in our brokenness, the Bible says that we are slaves to sin, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working, the children of disobedience, and it continues to talk about how we're slaves to our sin, to fulfill the passions of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of, of the body and of the mind, and by, we're, are by nature, we're by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Apart from Christ, we are actually, the Bible teaches, slaves to sin. Thankfully, God in his grace came to redeem us and to restore us and to set us free from sin. But of course, we all know, we're, if you're a believer in here, that just because we've been set free from sin, it doesn't mean that we stop sinning. It doesn't mean that I stop sinning. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus did promise to give us freedom. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So the question I ask myself is if Christ really gives me freedom from my sin, then why do I not live in that freedom? There's things that I don't want to do and there's things that I know they're even harmful for me to do. 
It's, it's an amazing thing to me whenever we think about whenever we think about the 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 the, the damage that sin causes, uh, the all of the ugly work that sin does in our hearts when we partake in it. I I was doing a little bit of research and thinking through things like bitterness. Did you know that whenever you hold on to anger and when you hold on to bitterness in your heart, did you know it actually physically affects your body? It actually affects your organs and their ability to respond. It actually makes you more prone to disease when you hold on to bitterness, according uh, to researchers. We know that if I, if I just lash out in anger and I'm always just losing my cool and I'm just yelling and screaming at all the people that I love, I know that I'm driving wedges in my relationships with them, yet we still lose them. I think we could all acknowledge the, the pain and the damage that lying causes. You know, lying can be so uh, helpful in, in a moment. You know, it can get me out of trouble. Someone asks me a question and I can just, I can, I can spin the truth, I can lie to kind of get out of it for a moment, but then what it turns into is it ends up damaging my relationships because I prove myself to be untrustworthy. Whenever it comes to the damage that sexual sin causes, you know, and, and you know, everyone wants the, the kind of the way that our world says to live is, hey, live it up, sleep around in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and that all seems really nice. But then it leads to potentially disease and infection. It leads to isolation and lack of deep relationships that are built over a lifetime of intimacy. We know that things like pornography in the moment, it could, it could be pleasurable. But then the results, the damage that it causes, well, for one, uh, for one, just the isolation that it causes, it's proven, it's shown that whenever you look at pornography, whenever you engage in pornography, then, then you're more likely to be depressed. Our sin, the way that the Bible says it, is pleasurable. It's enjoyable. Sin, sin is fun. It just comes with a really nasty price tag. But today, what I'm here to share with you is good news. The good news that Jesus came to set us free from sin. To set us free from the power of sin. Someday we will be saved for, from sin forever. We'll be saved from the presence of sin. Like we were singing, when Christ our life appears, our hope will be complete. The curse will be undone. Our tears will be no more. That's what will happen when Christ comes again. But when Jesus came the first time, he came to deliver us, to make us, to give us freedom from sin. And that's what we see in our text today. In Matthew chapter number four, we see Jesus give us, Jesus comes to take away the stigma of temptation and sin. And then at the cross, Jesus is going to take away the power of sin forever. So today, here's the truth that you and I need to receive is that you and I are sinners. We, we will be until the day that we die. But Jesus has come to deliver us, to give us freedom from the power of sin, from the power of temptation in your life and mine. And it happens not through me uh, getting more willpower, because just like the cookies, my willpower runs down. It's by having gospel character. It's by having gospel character. Now, what do we mean by that? 
Because last week we talked about gospel clarity. Gospel clarity is that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again for our sins according to the scriptures, and that his power flows through us and we run on the fuel of that grace in our lives. So what does it mean to have gospel character? If we could go ahead and throw that up on the screen. Gospel character uh, is when the gospel shapes my character, who I am, what I do. When, when I understand that because of Jesus, I am equipped to flourish, I'm equipped to overcome temptation, I'm equipped to abstain from sin, I'm equipped to bring glory to God because it is Christ living and working through me. The way Paul said in Galatians 2, 29, crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So today I want you to see how Jesus' conquering of sin, how Jesus' conquering of temptation can be lived out in your every and my everyday life. So first, as we look at this story, and I was very comforted whenever I started studying this passage, because I just read this passage, and I'm going to be honest with you, it was really hard for me. It was hard for me to understand. And then after I did some work on it, I watched one of my, one of my favorite preachers preach on this passage. So I could see, okay, what was his take on it? And he gets up there in front of his church, and he says, this is really hard. This is really hard. It's a little difficult to understand. So let's start walking through it. And first, let's walk through the story of just what actually happens. What happens when Jesus overcomes temptation together? Let's start off in verse number one. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Last week, we saw how Jesus was baptized. And you remember that beautiful moment where when Jesus was baptized, he made an introduction to God in a special and unique way where God the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit came and descended like a dove upon Jesus. And there is Jesus being baptized. Right after Jesus' baptism, it says that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Now, that's a really interesting thing that I want to stop, and I just want you to understand for a moment. First of all, whenever it comes to temptation, there is a difference between temptation and sin. There is a difference between temptation and sin. Temptation is not sin. And the second thing that we need to know is that temptation, God does not tempt you to sin. God doesn't tempt you to sin. He may allow you to be tempted, but he does not tempt you. So the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's going to be tempted. We also see in this verse that this is part of the plan of God. This is something that is a special moment for you and for me to learn from about who Jesus is. It's this moment where the Spirit leads Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted so we can see the real Jesus. Uh, So he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now this is a miraculous thing because uh, people cannot, physically speaking, go that long without water. Uh, But it's a miraculous thing, and I figure if Jesus can raise the dead and if he can give sight to the blind, then in this moment he can also go 40 days without food and water. He spends these 40 days, he's fasting, and then it says that he was hungry. Afterwards, he was hungry. Now, I would say so. Uh, If you went 40 days, if I went 40 days without food, I'd be pretty hungry myself. So while it is miraculous that he goes 40 days without water, he's also experiencing all the pain of going without food and water. And when he's, after the 40 days, it says that he is tempted 
by the devil, the, the tempter shows up and he begins a series of three temptations. The first temptation says, goes like this. Jesus, if, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to be made bread. If you are the son of God, see those rocks over there? Make some lunch. Now, can I just be honest with you for a second? Just first reading, I don't get, I don't get what the big deal is. But Jesus resists. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus overcomes. He resists. He says no to that temptation. Temptation one is defeated. Then he continues on with a second temptation. Satan uh, transports him. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple mount, some 400 feet in the air. He takes him on top of the temple, and he says, hey, if you're the son of God, then just jump off this, jump off of the temple and land. And the angels, like the Bible says, that the angels will watch over you. They will care for you. They will protect you, and you'll land on your feet like a cat, and everyone will know and see that you are the Messiah, that you are who you say you are. If you're the Son of God, why don't you do that? And, and Jesus responds again with Scripture. It is written, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then Satan takes him for a third temptation. He takes him up to a high mountain, this really miraculous place where it says that he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and uh, the glory of Egypt, the pyramids, uh, all of the, you know, the cool stuff out in Egypt. He shows him uh, Rome. And, uh, he shows him the, uh, the Colosseums and all of those kinds of things. He shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. And he says this. He says, hey, if you will fall down and worship me, then, then I'll give all these kingdoms to you. Now, that one I get. Don't sell your soul to the devil. I get it. But Jesus, again, resists with Scripture. He says, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he sends Satan away, and he defeats all of our temptation. But as I read it, let me just come and sit alongside next to you and say, hey, I am with you. This is a difficult passage to understand. What is going on with these temptations? Why are they such a big deal? Like I remember as a kid sitting in Sunday school classes where my teacher, Miss Murphy, had the, had the flannel graph. Does anybody know what flannel graph is? These big felt boards where it was like the sky and water and then you put land over top and you'd put like a little, she would put like this little felt temple and she'd put Jesus on top of the temple and we'd sit there and we'd watch it and, and, and Mrs. Murphy would explain, she would explain the temptation, all of those temptations that I'm thinking, What's, I'm still caught up on the bread. Because I like bread. Don't take away my bread. That, that's, that's the event. That's, that's the story. Jesus overcomes Satan's temptations. There's so much in here for us to unpack, and we're going to do so quickly, and I need you to stick with me. Because here's some things that are big and important for you and I to learn. First, I want you to notice the nature of these temptations. The nature of these temptations. The first temptation, the, the temptation to turn stone into bread. You remember how last week we talked about the baptism of Jesus and how the Father speaks 
out and for, for people to hear. And he speaks out and he says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus goes to the wilderness to be tempted. And Satan's temptation goes like this. If you're the beloved son of God, then. If you're the son that Jesus, that the father said that you are, then. And this temptation is the exact same temptation that you see in Genesis 3, when God tells Adam and Eve in the garden, hey, you can eat of all the trees and the fruit of the garden, but of this one tree you may not eat. And then the serpent shows up and says, if God said, if God is good, why would he withhold this from you? If God is good, Jesus, if if God is really your father and he's really pleased with you, then why would he have you go through the discomfort of going without food and water for 40 days? If if God is so good and if you're really his son and he's really delighting in you, then then why would he do this? Why would he he have you suffer like this? Why don't you just turn some some stones into bread and, and, and prove who you are and prove who God is? And why don't you just act on the if God is really delighting in you, why would he have you go through this? Why don't you just make stones into bread? And here's the first nature. Here's the first thing that we need to know about the nature of temptation is that temptation has its roots in a view of God. Temptation has its roots in a view of God. In Genesis 3, the temptation in the Garden of Eden, he, the Satan's temptation, the serpent's temptation in the garden is if God really loves you, he, he wouldn't really withhold this fruit from you. If God really cared about your well-being, then he wouldn't, he wouldn't have you do this. Hey, you know what? God's motivations are actually selfish. God's motivations, God actually wants to harm you. He doesn't want to help you. And whenever I'm a person who has the character where I'm repeatedly falling into temptation, it's usually, it usually goes hand in hand with a low view of God. With a low view of God. Because if I view sin, if, if this sin that tempts me, if this sin that entices me, if I view this as, hey, this is so wonderful, why, you know, God can't be that good of a God if he would withhold this, this thing from me. Sin is always linked to our view of God. So we see, if, if you're the son of God, then, then make this stone out of bread. We see the first temptation. It's a question. He's questioning who God is. But then the second temptation, whenever he takes him to the temple mount, it's a question about who I am. It's a question about who Jesus is. So he takes him to the temple mount, and he's gonna, uh, and he's telling Jesus, "Hey, if, if you're the Son of God, if you are the Messiah, then just jump off the te- jump off the temple." Now that's really interesting because as I did my as I did my study and as I did my research on it, here's what I found: is that the Jewish people, and Jesus alluded to this, Jesus said this, is that they always were looking for a sign. They were always looking for for proof of things, and they were always looking for the Messiah to show some miraculous signs to prove that that's who he is. In fact, there were some people that actually tried to do some crazy things. They would say that they were the Messiah, and then they would try to perform these crazy miracles to affirm who they were as Messiah. 
Uh, there was one man who gathered a large following, and he said that he was the Messiah. He said that he was the Christ. And he said, hey, come with me. We're going to go to the Jordan River, and I'm going to split the waters. And he went out and tried to split the waters, and the waters kept on running, and that was the end of his campaign to be the Messiah. Uh, church tradition tells us that Simon, Simon Bar, uh, not Simon Bar-Jonas, uh, Simon from Acts chapter number 8, he tried to claim to be this Messiah-like figure, and he actually got up onto the top of the mount, on the, on the top of the temple, and threw himself off to prove that he was the Messiah, and then he died. People were always trying to, in order to gain a following, they were always trying to perform these miraculous and amazing signs to show that they were the Messiah. And all Satan is saying, hey, if this is who you are, why don't you get everyone to take note of that? Hey, if you're really the Messiah, like everyone should be worshiping you, Jesus, why don't you just, why don't you just throw yourself off the temple and, and prove it to everybody? It's a question about get it. It's a question about getting from people horizontally what I'm only supposed to get from vertically. Let me say that again because I don't know that it came out clearly. When Satan tempted Jesus to jump off the temple, the purpose was to get affirmation from everyone around him, as opposed to living for the affirmation from the affirmation of the Father. That's the nature of temptation. How, how often is it that teenagers, they do really dumb things because their friends want them to? How many times do, do any of us do things because, hey, I, I want the approval, I want the affirmation of others? We see that it's a question about uh, the first one, who God is, who we are, and then finally, uh, the third temptation is a question about what the good life really is. What the good life really is. And verse number nine says, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. He takes him to the mountain. He shows him the kingdoms and he says, hey, I'll give all this to you if you will worship me. And it's so interesting. One, because Jesus is God and all this belongs to him already. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. While Satan has his little run, he's the prince of the power of the air, he has his little, he has his little moment. Ultimately, this all belongs to God anyway. But Satan says, hey, uh, I have all this. I'll give it to you if you'll just, if you'll fall down and worship me. And if you fall down and worship me, then you don't have to wait uh, for it. For, you don't have to wait for all of this, and you don't have to go through the cross, and you don't have to go through suffering. Right here, right now, you just fall down and worship me. You give your life for me, and I'll give you all of this. It is, it, it's a question about what the good life is. It's a question about what life is meant to be. Do I just go for the pleasure of the moment, or do I live for God's purposes? That is the nature of temptation. And if I have a low view of God, and if I don't know who I am in relation to God, and if, I, and if I'm always looking at this world, and I'm always thinking that, hey, the grass is always greener, if I can just have this, if I can just, uh, if I can just enjoy this sin, if I can just uh, have this, then, then, then I will be happy, then I'll experience the good life, then we are always susceptible to temptation. We're susceptible to temptation. 
So that's the nature of temptation. But now I want you to notice, um, I want you to notice, let's look at the theology of what's going on in this text. The theology of what's going on in this text. Whenever I was in college and I played some college basketball, a lot of times at the end of practice, we'd be, we'd be dead. We'd be, we'd be ready to be done. We'd be ready to go back to our rooms. And right at the end of practice, the coach would get up and he'd say, all right, I'm going to pick someone on the team who's going to shoot a free throw. If they make the shot, you can go home. If they miss the shot, everybody has to run. So then, of course, we would always try to influence the coach on who should shoot the shot and who should not shoot the shot. And if your name got picked, you were just ready. You better hope that you make it or else everyone's going to hate you. What's happening in our text is Jesus is shooting the shot for humanity. All of what's going on in this temptation, all of what's going on in this text, I want you to just consider with me for a few moments how this looks uh, compared to the temptation in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, mankind was in a perfect environment. Now Jesus is being tempted in a wilderness. Mankind was being tempted. Adam was being tempted in Genesis 3 with fruit. Jesus is being tempted with bread. Adam and Eve were living in the fullness of the garden. Jesus was going hungry. And here's what's going on in this passage. Is that Romans 5 tells us that wherefore, because of one man's sin, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And because of Adam's disobedience, death passed upon all men. But because of the obedience of Jesus, uh, he gives life. That's the way that Romans 5 describes it. Here's what Jesus is doing. Adam, Satan took his shot, and Adam, in the best of environments, in the perfect conditions, Adam didn't even have a sin nature at that point, and mankind failed. And now, Satan is taking his shot at Jesus, and Jesus is in the worst of conditions, and the worst of environments, and he can't touch Jesus. Here is the beauty of what's going on in this passage, is that you and I will always be susceptible to sin. We will never view God for who all he is, and the glory and beauty of who he is. We will never, in this life, have that perfect view of who we are in relation to God. You and I in this life will always struggle with what the good life is. We will always struggle with, hey, sin just seems a little too fun. Sin seems just a little too grand. I just have to get a little taste of it. And we will always fall short. But here is the beauty of what's going on in this passage is that Jesus takes the shot of temptation for you and me so that he can sympathize with our weaknesses and so that he can make a spectacle of Satan so that he can show us that, hey, sin has no power because of me. And what Jesus is doing is he is overcoming. He is defeating. He is making a fool out of Satan on your behalf and on my behalf so that we don't have to give in to temptation anymore, so that we don't have to give in to sin anymore, so we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. Jesus is overcoming temptation for you and for me. Sin is strong, but Jesus is so much stronger. And Jesus is showing that no matter what shot Satan would throw, he has nothing, he has nothing, he has nothing on Jesus. 
That's the theology of the passage. So what does that mean for you and for me today? We know that sin is strong and sin is powerful and sin is a little overwhelming. Jesus is stronger. So how do I live in this? How do I walk in this? First of all, if we're going to live with gospel character, then we have to believe what's true. If we're going to live with gospel character, we have to believe what is true, that Jesus really does give freedom from sin, that Jesus really does give power over temptation, that, that, I'm really, that I really don't have to live in the bondage of sin anymore because Jesus won my victory. We need to believe what is true in regards to the three temptations. We need to believe that God is good and worthy of all. The first temptation, Jesus, is, Jesus overcomes that by acknowledging that God is greater than bread. God is good. God is worthy of my awe. And when that happens, it changes. When I am filled with awe of God, when I am filled with love for God, whenever, like Jesus says, it's, it's not just this magic incantation of quoting this verse. A lot of people think that, hey, if you're tempted to sin and you just, you just say out loud the passage, that you just say it out loud and the devil will run away. And that's not even true in this passage. Like Jesus quotes scripture and then Satan actually quotes scripture back. It's actually, it's a battle of ideology. It's a battle of the mind where when Satan says, hey, you need this bread. He says, I don't, I need God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Hey, Jesus, God is greater than your sin. God is greater than your sin. Fill in the blank whatever it is for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's lying. Maybe you struggle with lying. And, and every time you're kind of put into a corner, you're just going to say whatever you can say to get out of that. Can I remind you today that Jesus is the truth? And because he is the truth, he's made a way for you and I to have access to God. Because he is true, that means that he's trustworthy. And if he's trustworthy, then I can live in that trustworthiness. And I can trust him that he's good. If you're filled with anger and bitterness, can I remind you that Jesus is so much greater than the bitterness that you're holding in your heart? You see, if anyone had a right to be bitter, God would have the right to be bitter. But be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. He is greater than our bitterness. Hey, listen, God is greater than the sexual temptations that you face in this life. He's greater than the physical temptations that you face in this life. He is greater. He is worthy of our all. And whenever we acknowledge that, then it changes everything. I remember whenever I learned to mow, when I learned to mow the grass, you don't mow straight lines by staring at the mower. You mow straight lines by having a fixed point in the distance. We overcome sin when we actually look to God and see who he is. But we all, with an open face, behold the glory. When we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory by the Spirit. That's the way it says it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We need to believe what's true, that God is good. We need to believe what's true about our identity. That who you are as a child of God, that your identity comes vertically, not horizontally. That when you were made, you were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. So you are who he says you are. And regardless of how you feel, if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then you are his child, no matter how you're thinking or how you're feeling on a particular day. You are who he says 
you are. Uh, we believe the truth that the enemy overpromises and underdelivers. The enemy makes big promises, but he underdelivers. He promised the kingdoms of this world when he didn't have the power to deliver it. And then we walk in grace. We receive this by faith. One of my favorite passages is where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who weary are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He says, jump in my yoke. Walk in my way. We look to Jesus. We lean on his word. And we overcome. We overcome temptation. I was planning on bringing, as we, as we close, I was planning on bringing um, some Oreos. And you know, everyone says that there's no wrong way. There's no wrong way to eat an Oreo. And if you've seen me eat Oreos, then you would say that that's just not true. I can eat Oreos the wrong, the wrong way. So my family, they like to give me a hard time. They like to give me a hard time because I eat Oreos and I was gonna bring it and actually show you, but the last time I did that, people would actually gag. So I wasn't gonna do it today. Um, when I eat Oreos, I'll, I'll dunk the Oreo like any normal person. And just so you know, just so you know, you're not supposed to stick your fingers in the milk, okay? You're just, you're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to stick your fingers in the milk. So I'll dip it and make sure that my fingers don't get in the milk. I'll eat the soaked Oreo, and then I will drop the rest in, in the cup. And I'll eat as many Oreos as I want at that particular time. And guys, don't sweat it. Don't, don't, worry about the, don't worry about the TV. This is my cue. They did that so they could say, it's time to be done. Um, but I'll, I'll drop it in, and it'll get, the bottom will get filled with Oreos, and then I'll, I'll drink the bottom, and then what happens is the cup is really, really nasty. It's full of all of the remains of Oreo. It's all completely soggy. It's, it's absolutely disgusting. And it's so gross that if you got your hands in there, in my family, we would gag. So what is the remedy? You, you put the cup in the water. You, you get, it, get it under a faucet. The water starts running through the cup. And pretty soon, at first, it's going to be nasty because all the chunks are going to start floating up. But then... Pretty soon, it's not going to be long until the Oreos are out of the cup. All of the leftover milk is out of the cup. And what's flowing in the cup is clear water. Here's the point. Is that you and I, in our brokenness, are stained by sin. And when we look to Jesus, when we lean upon Jesus, when we're walking with Jesus by his grace, he washes his character through us. And he changes and he transforms us into ultimately something beautiful and lovely and wonderful. But when it comes to temptation, we have to understand it's been defeated by Jesus, so let's walk in his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the fact that you endured every temptation for us, that you defeated sin for us, that you made a spectacle of Satan, that you took away the power of sin and the sting of death. And Lord, for whatever temptation... Um, we're facing today. Every single one of us are facing various temptations. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to remember that, that you defeated it. You conquered sin and temptation. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to walk in the truth and the light of the gospel, that there's freedom found in you. And when we walk with you, then your character gets imputed onto ours so we can walk in the freedom that you provide. 
Thank you for the truth that was found in your word today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.